0: Section six of A Woman's Journey Round the World This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org A Woman's Journey Round the World by Ida Laura Fiver, Chapter four Journey into the Interior of the Brazils Part one The towns of Mohu Queimado, Nova Friburgo, and Aldea do Pedro. Plantations of the Europeans, burning forests, virgin forests, last settlement of the whites, visit to the Indians, also called Puris or Rabocles, return to Rio Janeiro. This second journey I also made in company of Count Berthold, after having resolved on penetrating into the interior of the country and paying a visit to the primitive inhabitants of the Brazils. Second of October we left rio janeiro in the morning and proceeded in a steamer as far as the port of sampayo a distance of twenty-eight miles this port lies at the mouth of the river macacu but consists of only one inn and two or three small houses we here hired mules to take us to the town of morro queimado eighty miles off i may take this opportunity of remarking that it is the custom in the brazils to hire the mules without muleteers a great mark of confidence on the part of the owners towards travellers arrived at their destination the animals are delivered up at a certain place fixed on by the proprietor we preferred however to take a muleteer with us as we were not acquainted with the road a piece of precaution we regretted the less on finding the way frequently obstructed with wooden gates which had always to be opened and shut again the price for hiring a mule was twelve mule hays, pound six shillings. As we arrived at Porto Sampaio by two o'clock, we resolved on going on as far as Poncho do Pinheiro, a distance of sixteen miles. The road lay mostly through valleys covered with large bushes and surrounded by low rocks. The country wore a general aspect of wildness, and only here and there, were a few scanty pasture grounds and poverty stricken huts to be seen. The little town of Ponte de Caires, which we passed, consists of a few shops and vendas, a number of smaller houses, an inconsiderable church, and an apothecary's. The principal square looked like a meadow. Ponte do Pinheiro is rather larger. We experienced here a very good reception and had an excellent supper consisting of fowls stewed in rice, flour of manioc, and Portuguese wine. We had also good beds and breakfasts. The whole cost us, however, four milhays, eight shillings, eight pence. 3rd of October. We did not set off till seven o'clock. Here, as everywhere else in the country, there is no getting away early in the morning. The scenery was of the same character as that passed the day before, except that we were approaching the more lofty mountains the road was tolerably good but the bridges across the streams and sloughs execrable we esteemed ourselves fortunate whenever we passed one without being compelled to stop after a ride of three hours nine miles we reached the great sugar fazenda de colegio which in its arrangements is exactly like a large country seat to the spacious residence is attached a chapel with the offices lying all around. The whole is enclosed by a high wall. Far and wide stretched the fields in low eminences, covered with sugar canes. Unfortunately, we could not see the mode of preparing the sugar, as the canes were not yet ripe. A planter's fortune in the Brazils is calculated by the number of his slaves. There were eight hundred of them on the plantation we were viewing, a large property since each male slave costs from six to seven hundred new hays sixty to seventy pounds not far from this fazenda to the right of the high road lies another very considerable one called papagais besides these we saw several smaller plantations which lent a little animation to the uniformity of the scene saint anna sixteen miles distance is a small place consisting of only a few poor houses a little church and an apothecary's, the last is a necessary appendage to every brazilian village even though it only contains twelve or fifteen huts we here made a repast of eggs with a bottle of wine and gave our mules a feed of mill for which a cheating landlord herr gebhardt charged us three six shillings sixpence Today we did not proceed further than Mendoza, twelve miles, a still more insignificant place than Santa Anna. A small shop and a venda were the only houses at the roadside, though in the background we perceived a manioc fazenda, to which we paid a visit. The proprietor was kind enough first to offer us some strong coffee without milk, a customary mark of attention in the Brazils, and then to conduct us over his plantation. The manioc plant shoots out stalks from four to six feet in height, with a number of large leaves at their upper extremities. The valuable portion of the plant is its bulbous root, which often weighs two or three pounds, and supplies the place of corn all through the Brazils. It is washed, peeled, and held against the rough edge of a millstone, turned by a negro, until it is completely ground away the whole mass is then gathered into a basket plentifully steeped in water and is afterwards pressed quite dry by means of a press lastly it is scattered upon large iron plates and slowly dried by a gentle fire kept up beneath it now resembles a very coarse kind of flour and is eaten in two ways wet and dry in the first case It is mixed with hot water until it forms a kind of porridge. In the second, it is handed round under the form of coarse flour in little baskets, and every one at table takes as much as he chooses and sprinkles it over his plate. 4th of October The mountain ranges continue drawing nearer and nearer to each other, and the woods become thicker and more luxuriant. The various creeping plants are indescribably beautiful. Not only do they entirely cover the ground, but they are so intertwined with the trees that their lovely flowers hang on the highest branches and look like the blossoms of the trees themselves. But there are likewise trees whose own yellow and red blossoms resemble the most beautiful flowers, while there are others whose great white leaves stand out like silver from the surrounding mass of flowery green. Woods like these might well be called the giant gardens of the world. The palm trees have here almost disappeared. We soon reached the mountain range we had to cross, and on our way often ascended such elevated spots that we had a free view extending as far back as the capital. On the top of the mountain, Alta da Serra, 16 miles from Mendoza, we found a Venda. From this spot, the distance to Morro Queimado is 16 miles, which took us a long time as the road is either up or down hill the whole way we were continually surrounded by the most magnificent woodlands and were only rarely reminded by a small plantation of kabi or mill that we were in the neighbourhood of men we did not perceive the little town until we had surmounted the last eminence and were in its immediate vicinity it lies in a large and picturesque hollow surrounded by mountains at an elevation of three thousand two hundred feet above the level of the sea. As night was near at hand, we were glad enough to reach our lodgings, which were situated on one side of the town, in the house of a German named Linderoth. They were very comfortable, and, as we afterwards found, exceedingly reasonable, seeing that, for our rooms and three good meals a day, we only paid one new haze, two shillings, two pence. 5th of October the small town of Nova Friburgo, or Morro Queimado, was founded about fifteen years since by French, Swiss, and Germans. It contains not quite a hundred substantial houses, the greater part of which form an extremely broad street, while the others lie scattered about here and there. We had already heard, in Rio de Janeiro, a great deal of the Messieurs Basque and Frise, and we particularly recommended not to forget to pay a visit to each. Herr Basque is a naturalist, and resides here with his wife, who is almost as scientific as himself. We enjoyed many an hour in their entertaining society, and were shown many interesting collections of quadrupeds, birds, serpents, insects, etc. The collection of these last, indeed, was more rich and remarkable than that in the Museum of Rio Janeiro. Herr Beske has always a great many orders from Europe to send over various objects of natural history. Herf is the director and proprietor of an establishment for boys, and preferred establishing his school in the school climate than in the hot town beneath. He was kind enough to show us all his arrangements. As it was near evening when we paid our visit, school was already over, but he presented all his scholars to us, made them perform a few gymnastic exercises, and proposed several questions on geography, history, arithmetic, etc., which, without exception, they answered very carefully and correctly. His establishment receives sixty boys, and was quite full, although the annual charge for each boy is one thousand a hundred and eight pounds, six shillings, eight pence. The 6th of October. We had at first intended to stop only one day in Nova Friburgo, and then continue our journey. Unfortunately, however, the wound which the count had received on our excursion to petropolis became through the frequent use of the hand and the excessive heat much worse inflammation set in and he was consequently obliged to give up all ideas of going any further with my wounds i was more fortunate for as they were on the upper part of the arm i had been enabled to pay them a proper degree of care and attention they were now proceeding very favourably in neither dangerous nor troublesome. I had, therefore, no resource left, but either to pursue my journey alone, or to give up the most interesting portion of it, namely, my visit to the Indians. To this last idea I could by no means reconcile myself. I inquired, therefore, whether the journey could be made with any degree of safety, and as I received a sort of half-satisfactory answer, and Herr Lindenroth found me also a trusty guide, I procured a good double-barrel pistol, and set out undaunted upon my trip. We at first remained for some time in the midst of mountain ranges, and then again descended into the warmer region beneath. The valleys were generally narrow, and the uniform appearance of the woods was often broken by plantations. The latter, however, did not always look very promising, most of them being so choked up with weeds that it was frequently impossible to perceive the plant itself, especially when it was young and small. It is only upon the sugar and coffee plantations that any great care is bestowed. The coffee-trees stand in rows upon tolerably steep hillocks. They attain a height of from six to twelve feet, and begin to bear sometimes as soon as the second, but in no case later than the third year, and are productive for ten years. The leaf is long and slightly serrated, the blossom white, while the fruit hangs down in the same manner as a bunch of grapes, and resembles a longish cherry, which is first green, then red, brown, and nearly black. During the time it is red, the outer shell is soft, but ultimately becomes perfectly hard and resembles a wooden capsule. Blossoms and fruit in full maturity are found upon the trees at the same time and hence the harvest lasts nearly the whole year. The latter is conducted in two ways. The berries are either gathered by hand, or large straw mats are spread underneath, and the trees well shaken. The first method is the more troublesome, but without comparison the better one. Another novelty, which I saw here for the first time, were the frequent burning forests, which had been set on fire to clear the ground for cultivation in most cases i merely saw immense clouds of smoke curling upwards in the distance and desired nothing more earnestly than to enjoy a nearer view of such a conflagration my wish was destined to be fulfilled to-day as my road lay between a burning forest and a burning rost. the intervening space was not at the most more than fifty paces broad and was completely enveloped in smoke i could hear the cracking of the fire and through the dense vapour perceived thick forked columns of flame shoot upwards towards the sky while now and then loud reports like those of a cannon announced the fall of the large trees on seeing my guide enter this fiery gulf i was i must confess rather frightened but I felt assured, on reflecting, that he would certainly not foolishly risk his own life, and that he must know from experience that such places were passable. At the entrance sat two negroes, to point out the direction that wayfarers had to follow, and to recommend them to make as much haste as possible. My guide translated for me what they said, and spurred on his mule. I followed his example, and we both galloped at full speed into the smoking pass. The burning ashes now flew around us in all directions, while the suffocating smoke was even more oppressive than the heat. Our beasts, too, seemed to have great difficulty in drawing breath, and it was as much as we could do to keep them in a gallop. Fortunately, we had not above five hundred or six hundred paces to ride, and consequently succeeded in making our way safely through. In the Brazils, a conflagration of this kind never extends very far as the vegetation is too green and offers too much opposition the wood has to be ignited in several places and even then the fire frequently goes out and when most of the wood is burnt many patches are found unconsumed soon after passing this dangerous spot we came to a magnificent rock the sides of which must have risen almost perpendicularly to a height of six hundred or eight hundred feet a number of detached fragments lay scattered about the road forming picturesque groups to my great astonishment i learned from my guide that our lodging for the night was near at hand we had scarcely ridden twenty miles but he affirmed that the next vendor where we could stop was too far distant i afterwards discovered that his sole object was to spin out the journey which was a very profitable one for him since besides good living for himself and father for his two mules he received four mule hays eight shillings eight pence a day we put up therefore at a solitary venda erected in the middle of the forest and kept by herr mollus during the day we had suffered greatly from the heat the thermometer standing in the sun at a hundred nineteen degrees seventy five fahrenheit The circumstance which must strike a traveller most forcibly in the habits of the colonists and inhabitants of the Brazils is the contrast between fear and courage. On the one hand, every one you meet upon the road is armed with pistols and long knives, as if the whole country was overrun with robbers and murderers, while on the other the proprietors live quite alone on their plantations, and without the least apprehension in the midst of their numerous slaves. The traveller, too, fearlessly passes the night in some vendor, situated in impenetrable woods, with neither shutters to the windows nor good locks to the doors, besides which the owner's room is a considerable distance from the chambers of the guests, and it would be utterly impossible to obtain any assistance from the servants, who are all slaves, as they live either in some corner of the stable or in the loft. At first I felt very frightened at thus passing the night alone, "'surrounded by the wild gloom of the forest, "'and in a room that was only very insecurely fastened. "'But, as I was everywhere assured "'that such a thing as a forcible entry into a house "'had never been heard of, "'I soon dismissed my superfluous anxiety "'and enjoyed the most tranquil repose. "'I know very few countries in Europe "'where I should like to traverse vast forests "'and pass the night in such awfully lonely houses.' accompanied by only a hired guide on the seventh of october also we made only a short day's journey of twenty miles to the small town of cantagallo the scenery was of the usual description consisting of narrow circumscribed valleys and mountains covered with endless forests if little fazendas and the remains of woods which had been set on fire had not every now and then reminded us of the hand of men I should have thought that I was wandering through some yet undiscovered part of Brazil. The monotony of our journey was rather romantically interrupted by our straying for a short distance from the right road. In order to reach it again, we were obliged to penetrate by untrodden paths through the woods, a task presenting difficulties of which an European can scarcely form an idea. We dismounted from our mules— and my guide threw back on either side the low-hanging branches and cut through the thick web of creepers while one moment we were obliged to climb over broken trunks or squeeze ourselves between others at the next we sank knee-deep among endless parasitical plants i began almost to despair of ever effecting a passage and even up to the present day am at a loss to understand how we succeeded in escaping from this inextricable mass. The little town of Cantagalo is situated in a narrow valley, and contains about eighty houses. The Venda stands apart, the town not being visible from it. The temperature here is warm as in Rio de Janeiro. On my return to the Venda, after a short walk to the town, I applied to my landlady in order to obtain a near and really correct idea of a Brazilian household. The good woman, however, gave herself very little trouble, either in looking after the house or the kitchen. As is the case in Italy, this was her husband's business. A negress and two young negroes cooked, the arrangements of the kitchen being of the most primitive simplicity. The salt was pressed fine with a bottle. The potatoes, when boiled, underwent the same process the latter were also subsequently squeezed in the frying pan with a plate to give them the form of a pancake a pointed piece of wood served for a fork etc there was a large fire burning for every dish every one whose complexion was white sat down with us at table all the dishes consisting of cold roast beef black beans with boiled carne seca, potatoes rice manioc flour and boiled manioc roots placed upon the table at the same time, and everyone helped himself as he pleased. At the conclusion of our meal we had strong coffee without milk. The slaves had beans, carne seca, and manioc flour. 8th of October Our goal today was the Fazenda Boa Esperança, 24 miles off. Four miles beyond Cantagalo we crossed a small waterfall, and then entered one of the most magnificent virgin forests I had yet beheld. A small path, on the bank of a little brook, conducted us through it. Palms, with their majestic tops, raised themselves proudly above the other trees, which, lovingly interlaced together, formed the most beautiful bowers. Orchids grew in wanton luxuriance upon the branches and twigs. Creepers and ferns climbed up the trees, mingling with the boughs, and forming thick walls of blossoms and flowers, which displayed the most brilliant colors, and exhaled the sweetest perfume. Delicate hummingbirds twittered around our heads. The pepper-pecker, with his brilliant plumage, soared shyly upwards. Parrots and parakeets were swinging themselves in the branches, and numberless beautifully marked birds, which I only knew from having seen specimens in the museum, inhabited this fairy grove it seemed as if I was riding in some fairy park, and I expected every moment to see sylves and nymphs appear before me. I was so happy that I felt richly recompensed for all the fatigue of my journey. One thought only obscured this beautiful place, and that was that weak men should dare to enter the lists with the giant nature of the place, and make it bend before his will how soon, perhaps, may this profound and holy tranquillity be disturbed by the blows of some daring settler's axe to make room for the wants of men. I saw no dangerous animals save a few dark green snakes from five to seven feet long, a dead ounce that had been stripped of its skin, and a lizard three feet in length, which ran timidly across her path. I met with no apes, they appear to conceal themselves deeper in the woods, where no human footstep is likely to disturb them. Where no human footstep is likely to disturb them in their sports and gambles. During the whole distance from Cantagallo to the small village of Santa Rita, sixteen miles, if it had not again been for a few coffee plantations, I should have thought the place completely forgotten by men. Near Santa Rita are some gold washings in the river of the same name and not far from them, diamonds also are found. Since seeking or digging for diamonds is no longer an imperial monopoly, every one is at liberty to employ himself in this occupation, and yet it is exercised as much as possible in secret. No one will acknowledge looking for them, in order to avoid paying the state its share as fixed by law. The precious stones are sought for and dug out at certain spots, from heaps of sand stones and soil which have been washed down by the heavy rains i had found lodgings in a venda for the last time the preceding evening at Cantagalo. i had now to rely upon the hospitality of the proprietors of the fazendas custom requires that on reaching a fazenda any person who desires to stop the middle of the day or the night there should wait outside and ask through the servant permission to do so It is not until his application is granted, which is almost always the case, that the traveller dismounts from his mule and enters the building. They received me at Fazenda da Boa Esperança in the most friendly manner, and, as I happened to arrive exactly at dinner-time, it was between three and four o'clock, covers were immediately laid for me and my attendant. The dishes were numerous, and prepared very nearly in the European fashion great astonishment was manifested in every venda and fazenda at seeing a lady arrive accompanied only by a single servant the first question was whether i was not afraid thus to traverse the woods alone and my guide was invariably taken on one side and questioned as to why i travelled as he was in the habit of seeing me collect flowers and insects he supposed me to be a naturalist and replied that my journey had a scientific object After dinner, the amiable lady of the house proposed that I should go and see the coffee plantations, warehouses, etc., and I willingly accepted her offer, as affording me an opportunity of viewing the manner in which the coffee was prepared, from beginning to end. The mode of gathering it I have already described. When this is done, the coffee is spread out upon large plots of ground, trodden down in a peculiar manner, and enclosed by low stone walls, scarcely a foot high with little drain holes in them to allow of the water running off in case of rain on these places the coffee is dried by the glowing heat of the sun and then shaken in large stone mortars ten or twenty of which are placed beneath a wooden scaffolding from which wooden hammers set in motion by water power descend into the mortars and easily crush the husks the mass thus crushed is then placed in wooden boxes fastened in the middle of a long table and having small openings at each side through which both the berry itself and the husk fall slowly out at the table are seated negroes who separate the berry from the husk and then cast it into shallow copper cauldrons which are easily heated in these it is carefully turned and remains until it is quite dried this last process requires some degree of care as the color of the coffee depends upon the degree of heat to which it is exposed if dried too quickly instead of the usual greenish color it contracts a yellowish tinge on the whole the preparation of coffee is not fatiguing and even the gathering of it is far from being as laborious as reaping is with us the negro stands in an upright posture when gathering the berry and is protected by the tree itself against the great heat of the sun the only danger he incurs is of being bitten by some venomous snake or other an accident however which fortunately rarely happens the work on a sugar plantation on the contrary is said to be exceedingly laborious particularly that portion of it which relates to weeding the ground and cutting the cane i have never yet witnessed a sugar harvest but perhaps may do so in the course of my travels All work ceases at sunset, when the negroes are drawn up in front of their master's house for the purpose of being counted, and then, after a short prayer, have their supper, consisting of boiled beans, bacon, carne seca, and manioc flour, handed out to them. At sunrise they again assemble, are once more counted, and after prayers and breakfast go to work. I had an opportunity of convincing myself in this, as well as in many other fazendas, vendas, and private houses, that the slaves are by far not so harshly treated as we Europeans imagine. They are not overworked, perform all their duties very leisurely, and are well kept. Their children are frequently the playmates of their masters' children, and knock each other about as if they were all equal. There may be cases in which certain slaves are cruelly and undeservedly punished, but do not the like instances of injustice occur in europe also i am certainly very much opposed to slavery and should greet its abolition with the greatest delight but despite this i again affirm that the negro slave enjoys under the protection of the law a better lot than the free feller of egypt or many peasants in europe who still groan under the right of saukage the principal reason of the better lot of the slave compared to that of the miserable peasant in the case in point, may perhaps partly be that the purchase and keep of the one is expensive, while the other costs nothing. The arrangements in the houses belonging to the proprietors of the fazendas are extremely simple. The windows are unglazed and are closed at night with wooden shutters. In many cases the outer roof is the common covering of all the rooms, which are merely separated from one another by low partitions, so that you can hear every word your neighbor says, and almost the breathing of the person sleeping next to you. The furniture is equally simple, a large table, a few straw sofas, and a few chairs. The wearing apparel is generally hung up against the walls, the linen alone being kept in tin cases, to protect it from the attacks of the ants. In the country, The children of even the most opulent persons run about frequently without shoes or stockings. Before they go to bed, they have their feet examined to see whether any sand fleas have nestled in them, and if such be the case, they are extracted by the elder negro children. End of section 6